0: is we're kicking off a new series called Life Googled. And uh, so what we're doing is we are looking at the the burning questions of life according to Google. And uh, according to Google searches. I remember the first time I ever experienced a search engine. In the early days of the internet, Uh, I remember... We we got ourselves a Packard Bell computer that was a 75 megahertz, not gigahertz, 75 megahertz Pentium processor with four, count them, four megabytes of RAM, not gigs of RAM. And we had this thing, and it was huge, and it sat on top of our desk, and it was massive, and we got... Uh, a blazing fast, blazing fast 14.4 baud modem. I don't even know what a baud is, but we got a 14.4 baud modem, and we would dial in to the internet via something called Prodigy, and uh, we would, I don't think we had email at the 24, 25 now? Are you, Forrest? Anyway, um, so this was a long time ago when Forrest was first born, and so the um, uh, place that Wendy worked allowed her to work remotely, and so we got that computer, and I think it cost like a bajillion dollars, and so um, so we got the internet, and um, uh, a friend of mine told me about this thing called Yahoo!, and apparently, it was something where you can just search something and get results. Because before the days of search engines, uh, you pretty much just kind of had to, you know, whatever. Click, you know, click, a, there would be pages that was, were just like links out to different sites. That was it. It wasn't like you couldn't search. They didn't have the whole search function down on the internet yet. And so I had Yahoo, and... Uh, it would it would just take hours for just something to load. I remember doing a search, and uh, and then going to like make a sandwich and then come back uh, to as the page loaded, or go to use the bathroom and come back and see if the page had finished loading yet. And I would search for things like mystery science theater 3000, uh, Star Wars pictures. Just downloading Star Wars pictures was quite the thing. Uh, or Mech Warrior cheats for those of you who like to play Mech Warrior back in the day. That was pretty awesome. Mech Warrior two, and uh, so that was you know that was the thing. And just do you remember that, honey? I'd sit in front of that computer for hours, just waiting for a picture of Luke Skywalker to load. And so um, now you kids, you get your Luke Skywalker like that. Uh, but it was just it was really kind of boring. But as search engines improved, I remember kind of coming to lean on them a lot more heavily, right? And now, like, I can't hardly think of a day in the last 10 years where I haven't Googled something. In fact, Google has become its own verb. Uh, So it used to be you went to Alta Vista, or you went to Ask Jeeves, or you went to Yahoo, and then Google came, came along, and it was just like this plain white page with the search bar on it. And so, um, I think every, lots of people, like, I mean, now we Google, you know, medical conditions. Do I have cancer? You know? Uh, like, if you're sick, what do I have? We just, we Google all sorts of things. but. Um, We're going to talk in this life Googled about these burning questions that get Googled. But before we dig in with today's question, I want to share with you the top 10 questions people have asked Google so far in 2020. And believe it or not, like I was really surprised there were certain things that were not on this list. Like coronavirus was not on this list, Uh, uh, you know, uh, civil unrest, whatever, that was not on this list. But the uh, number 10, Question most popular question Googled in 2020 so far is who called me? Uh, who called me was like that was one of the burning questions. Um, here's one. Here's like number nine question on Google in 2020 was I don't, I don't even know what this means. Is Mercury in retrograde? Yeah. Does that make sense to people? So, okay, is it, is, okay, so is mercury in retrograde is, is like the number uh, nine burning question. Um, when are the early signs of pregnancy? That was huge. Lots of people wanting to know. And I'll tell you what, as people come out of lockdown, that's going to get Googled a lot more. So, um, <laughs> how many weeks in a year? How many weeks in a year? was... Burning question. People wanted to know. Everybody knows it's 61. Um, (laughs) Here's another one. (laughs) Number five. Where am I? (laughs) It's it's a burning question on people's minds. Where am I? Another one, not quite a question. It's maybe not, you know, but how to draw. How to draw. Yeah, people want to know. And then What is love? What is love with 1,830,000 people asking? Uh, (laughs) Numbers uh, eight. No, two. Anyway, uh, (laughs) where's my refund? Where is my refund is the other (laughs) burning question. What's my IP address? Was number two. Lots of people want to know what their IP address is. It's very important. And then, I mean, I don't, maybe Lori would get this. I don't get this. Number one question asked Google in 2020, when are the NBA playoffs? Boring. (laughs) Uh, You know, so that was the number one question. I was kind of let down by that. The number one question was a sports question. And so, uh, but anyway, that was the number one question asked on Google. So this morning, the question that I want to tackle is... When's the NBA playoffs? No. The the question I want to tackle is, what is love? What is love? What is love? Very popular question. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Uh, It's what is love? And so uh, I want to tackle that. And uh, so according to scientists, love is a chemical reaction in the brain that causes people to feel euphoric excited, and bonded to one another. That's, that's what science says love is. It's a chemical reaction in the brain. The problem with this definition of love, the problem with defining it that way, this idea of love, is that means that our love for others is conditional upon how they make us feel. That's a huge problem in defining love Uh, as a condition of how other people make us feel. Think about that for a minute. Or really just how we happen to feel in the moment. And you can see that as a deeply, deeply flawed way of looking at love and what love is. So if God is love, and according to 1 John 4, 8, He is, then I think it's important that we gain a true understanding of what love truly is. We've, we've got to kind of grasp that one. We, uh, that's a basic that I think that everybody really needs to understand, is understanding what love truly is. And so I'll give you a hint, though, before we get started, I'm going to give you a small hint. It's not a chemical reaction in the brain. It's not a chemical reaction in the brain. But what is it? So we're going to talk about that, but real quick, let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for being the picture of love. God, I ask that you'd help us to understand what love is. God, give us that understanding. Give us that revelation. Give us that knowledge that we need. God, open our eyes today. Let your word come alive and bring transformation in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start off by revisiting 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. And it says this, it says, Prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. I think it's interesting that Paul is taking some really great things. I mean, he's talking about prophecy here. He's talking about, uh, you know, unknown languages, you know, tongues. And he's talking about knowledge. And he's saying, yeah, these things are great, but you know what? Compared to love, love is even better. Love is even better. He's making this comparison. I love it. Then he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. I it's interesting, he talks about childishness in the middle of an essay on love. Have you ever noticed that worldly love, what, you know, what world and society tells us love is, is actually very childish? Have you ever noticed that? And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it becomes, you know, it's, it, it's pouty, it's needy, it's, it's, like, it's weird, Right? Like, worldly love is very childish. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But when we see everything with perfect clarity, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith. Hope and love, and the greatest of these is love. Woo! I love that passage. Isn't that an amazing? I hope that you guys will go and read that when we're done here today. Go read it over again. Maybe this week, just reread the love chapter once every day and really let it sink in, okay? But if you remember one thing this morning, I want you to remember this and that about love, and it's that it's not about you. Love is not about you. I think it's so important that we understand that about love, that it's not about you. Because, uh, you know, this idea of love being this chemical reaction that makes us feel euphoric. And when we take that idea of love, it being about us, right? Right? I mean, how many people bring home puppies and they say they love this puppy is because this little puppy looks at us this way or pays us this attention or loves us, and then once the puppy starts to poo and pee around the house, that love is gone, right? And some people are even like, I got to get rid of this dog, and, they'll, and they'll, they'll, they'll try to get rid of the dog. That's... You know, that's how a lot of us approach love. Well, those feelings of euphoria are gone. This thing is costing me too much time and attention. I got to get rid of it. And so we, we, we love like that because we think that love is about us. Oh, I love my church, but as soon as, you know, I'm kind of feeling tired of serving or because some people kind of didn't look at me right or because the pastor walked right past me without stopping for a hug and saying hi. then no, we don't love that church so much anymore because that love was about us and what we were getting from it. And so we have to understand about love that love is not about you. I find it interesting that in all of 1 Corinthians 13, there's not a single mention of warm, fuzzy feelings. Not one. Not one. There's there's not a single mention of euphoric emotions. Not a single one. In fact, it describes love with ideas like patience, kindness, forgiveness, hope, endurance. And if you've ever been married for more than a year or two, you know that sometimes love is just about enduring. Let's get through this season. Let's try to love each other and stay committed to each other and and care for each other through this season where there's just not a whole lot of feelings. And so uh, we have to understand that love is not about us. In fact, the Greek word used for love in this passage is agape, agape which is the highest form of love, right? Agape is the highest form of love, and it's a love which is uh, love that is concerned for the greatest good of another. So true love isn't about you. That's not what true love is all about. And so it's agape love that God wants us to have for one another, that God wants us to have uh, for our church, for our church family, for our actual family, right? He wants us to agape those around us, for our spouse. He wants to, us to agape our children. So if I were to kind of draw a little character sketch based on this agape love for you today, what are some things that we would notice according to this scripture? Well, the first thing is this. That's that real love is without condition. Real love is without condition. Okay? If I really love you, I'm not going to stop because I feel like my needs aren't being met. Okay? I'm not going to choose whether or not I'm going to love you based on the color of your skin. And we're kind of seeing that right now, you know, that being a a very huge issue in our world today. I'm not going to... Choose whether or not I'm gonna love you based on the color of your skin. I'm not gonna choose whether or not I'm gonna love you because we're from the same political party. You know, I'm not gonna choose whether or not I'm going to love you because we're from the same denomination. I'm not gonna choose whether or not I'm gonna love you based on what I'm getting out of this. And so it's without condition. Real love does not place expectations on the other person, real love just loves. Real love just loves. And so, if you're in a relationship right now with someone who withholds love from you because you don't want to bend to their wishes or because you don't want to meet their weird or unreasonable expectations, then they don't really love you, right? So if if you're with somebody right now that's doing that to you, withholding love from you, Because you're not, you know, bending to their expectations or whatever. You know what? Move on. It's time to move on. Unless you're married, work it out. But uh, it's time to, you know, just move on. That's childish love, isn't it? Paul says, I put away childish things. That's childish love. I'm going to withhold love from you because you're not making me feel good right now. That's childish love. All right? So love, real love, is without condition. The next thing is is real love is without reciprocation. Have you ever felt like maybe in a friendship or in a, in a relationship, you feel like you're the only one doing your part in that relationship? Like it's you're, you're the one to, you know, and it's like, why am I always the one who's got to make the call for us to get together? Why, why am I always the one that's got to, you know, uh, if you're married, why am I always the one that has to initiate? The shalom in the bedroom, if you know what I'm saying. You know, why am I always the one? And, and so we begin to go, why am I always the one? Or why does it seem like I'm the one doing all the work? Okay? Or, you know, or, or sometimes we just want to hear thanks once in a while. And we even say things like this. Have you, ever, you know, one of, the, one of the things I hear people say sometimes is, I don't do it for the thanks, but it would be nice to hear it. then I think you're doing it for the thanks, right? And then I think what you're trying to do is uh, push buttons to get people to thank you. Because that's really why people say stuff like, I don't do it for the thanks, and then, you know, hoping somebody will go, well, thank you, you know. But uh, real love is without reciprocation. And so uh, agape love just keeps on loving, even when the appreciation or the reciprocation that uh, we, you know, doesn't come and that we'd hope for, uh, it just keeps loving. That's just love without reciprocation. If you've ever had children, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, kids don't reciprocate. They're tiny kids. Uh, You know, but real love is without reciprocation. And, And what happens a lot of times is when we go into loving, expecting some form of reciprocation, we begin to... Resent, And that's my next point, right? Real love is without resentment. Real love is without resentment. And sometimes when reciprocation doesn't come and our expectations aren't met, we grow resentful. That happens. Uh, we get tired of serving others. We just get tired of serving others. Or, uh, and we start to dread serving instead of encountering God through it is because we don't understand love. We don't understand love, and so we begin to resent. And instead, we have to understand is when we serve others, we're serving God. We're serving Him. And so uh, we have an opportunity to encounter God through our love and through our service. And we get grump- grumpy, right? We get grumpy and we get irritable, uh, you know, because we're like, I'm I, resentful. But real love isn't like that. Real love isn't like that. That, that the, the warm feeling may not always be there, but we're patient and we're kind and we're not keeping records, right? Here's the thing. That's not always easy. And I'm not saying that real love is easy or should come easy. It's not easy, you know. But we push through and we don't let the way that we love others be based on our feelings. That's so important, okay? And so the last thing is this: is agape love is without desertion. It doesn't, you know, agape love doesn't bail when the going gets tough. It doesn't just move on, right? Just don't misunderstand me. Let me just make this disclaimer, you guys. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. I feel like I always got to make that disclaimer because there's always people who will stay in an abusive relationship and throw 1 Corinthians 13 on it, right? It's like, oh, but, you know, I know he gets angry and he hits me sometimes. But, you know, love bears all things and love hopes all things. That's not what I'm talking about. Or some people are like, I, you know, I know he, uh, he, just, he just has such a hard time being a one-woman Man. But, you know, love is patient and kind. I'm not talking about that, okay? Uh, I'm talking about uh, at, at least a somewhat healthy love, <laughs> not, you know, not an abusive love, all right? And so sometimes, though, we give up real quickly when we don't feel appreciated and our, our expectations aren't met, our often unspoken expectations aren't being met. We want to check out. We want to move on. And I'm thankful. uh, Gosh, with all. Okay. This one is wrapped around several times. Here we go. I'll just stand right here. How's everybody doing? Oh, all right, thank you Here we go, thank you very much Ryan, all right uh, And now I've c- just completely lost my place just kidding sometimes our expectations are unspoken, right? Here's the thing I Am so happy. I am so glad that Jesus doesn't desert me that Jesus doesn't walk away from me because a lot of this like the the flawed ways of loving are the ways that I love Jesus a lot of times these flawed ways of loving I mean a lot of times I put I put on you know weird expectations on Jesus and I pout when he doesn't answer my prayer the way that he will, I you know want him to and I you know I I lack commitment to him and, you know, sometimes I resent. And you know what? Jesus paid it all, and, and and when he asks for a little bit in return, a lot of times I don't want to reciprocate. I'm a horrible lover. Like when it comes to my love for Christ, it is... Uh, a lot of times it comes with condition. It comes without reciprocation. Sometimes it comes with resentment. I'm not very good at loving Jesus when it boils down to it. And I think that a lot of people would kind of admit that as well. You know, that a lot of times we're just not great at loving Jesus. We're just sort of doing our best. But Jesus chooses to love us unconditionally. He chooses to love us perfectly in response to our unperfect love. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't doesn't bail on me or desert me when I love him imperfectly. And much of the time, I'm just not that great at loving Jesus unconditionally. I try, right? But a lot of times, I'm just not that great at that. I'm so glad that he does not desert me. You know, the thing about Jesus is that he is the perfect example of, of agape love. He is the perfect example of agape love. And so we have this Jesus that loves us so perfectly, so wonderfully, even though we love him so imperfectly. And then what happens is, you know, we become like the, uh, the servant who was forgiven their debts but goes, oh, after the people who owe debts to the servant, right? Y'all know what, ta- what I'm talking about here. And so he loves us so perfectly, even though we don't love him perfectly. And then when other people don't love us perfectly, what do we do? We get resentful, right? We get resentful. We don't reciprocate. We walk away. Uh, we, you know, and so we have to understand that that's not a fair for us to do to others when Jesus loves us so perfectly. I want you to kind of let that sink in. Do you want to know what perfect love looks like? Do you want to know what agape love looks like? If you want to see a picture painted of real love, it looks like a bloodied, beaten Jesus hanging on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. That's what perfect love looks like. That's what perfect love looks like. And so get that picture in your head of Jesus and go, okay, that's what perfect love looks like. Let that sink in. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to close with this. I want to close with a question. I want to challenge you with a question. And the question is this. How does my love for others align with Christ's love for me? How does my love for others align with Christ's love for me? I remember early on, year, it was like we're going into second, year two of camp. And uh, I had one of those moments with, some, with someone, you're probably watching, but I had one of those moments with someone where we were talking about camp. And year one was so hard, was so, so hard. And, uh, and I asked them, are, are you coming back for year two? And they said, I don't think so. I said, why not? And they said, it was just really hard. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I've, I'll give you that. It was really hard. I said, it was just really hard. I mean, it was, we don't get much sleep. You know, you're dealing with a lot of issues. It was really, really hard. And I remember just kind of at that moment this picture of Christ carrying the cross, you know, up to Calvary. And I, and I pushed back and I challenged and I said, yeah, but I don't think that carrying our cross to Calvary and being beaten for our sins was easy. And that's, But that's how Jesus loved us. And so, uh, sometimes love is just really hard. And, um, and so I want to challenge you with that. Does your love for others, how does that align with Christ's love for you? Has my love been about me? Has my love been about my feelings? Has my love been about what I gain from service or what I gain from a relationship or what I gain from my church or what I gain from my spouse? Has my love been about what I gain? Or has been my has my love been about the greater goodness of the other person? Of the other person? How does your love for others align with Christ's love for you? And I just wanted to leave that question kind of in your mind. I want to let that question kind of sink in, kind of dangle there for a little bit. And uh, I'll let you kind of wrestle through that with Jesus today. Maybe you can journal that or you can pray about that. But I'm going to go ahead and pray, and the worship team's going to come, and we're going to wrap up this morning. But I just want to remind you again, we have prayer tonight at 6 o'clock. And so if you, if you uh, feel comfortable coming out, to pray and seeking Him and praying for our community, praying for our world, uh, then just come on out. We'll be here from 6 to 7. We will, we will start on time. We will end on time. Okay? So let's go ahead and pray. God, we love You. We praise You. God, we, we love your, the way that You love us. We love Your love for us. And God, we don't want to be uh, people who just are always receiving always being blessed by your love, but not extending that kind of love to others. God, what, what is love? It's being Jesus for others. Being Jesus to our family, being Jesus to our church, being Jesus to our community, being Jesus to others. That's what love is. God, we want to be people who love truly. God, I pray that you would um, continue to shape us in that, continue to mold us in that, continue, God. God, you're so amazing. In Jesus' name, amen.